Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Welcome, everybody. Another installment here of Inside Football with Rick Venturi on the Colts Audio Network, Colts.com, and the Colts mobile app. I'm Matt Taylor. Good to be with you, as always. Always good to be joined by Rick Venturi, former NFL and Colts coach, nearly 30 years on NFL sidelines under his belt. And this is the Bridge Week, the Bridge Week version of the podcast, that week off between the preseason and the regular season and a lot per usual to get into the initial 53-man roster is out and we'll discuss Rick's offensive and defensive overviews coming out of the preseason and strengths and weaknesses going into the regular season. RV, how you holding up after the preseason? I know you're chapping up the bit here to get to the regular season, but we still got a couple days to go here. Yeah, this is this is unfamiliar territory for you and I. I mean, we, we you know, we're getting used to it now in the last couple of years, but the bridge we yeah. as you talk about is really really different. I think it can help the Colts in one aspect. We'll get into that later. Uh, but it is, it is really different. Actually, I'm kind of liking it. I find myself really getting on Jacksonville this week. And so, you know, really getting a jump on that and maybe even Houston. So, you know, we'll make good use of the time. I know you're still busy. They find a way to keep you busy no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The, the horse the horse is in the stable. It's it's hard to, to get out and, and get some fresh air. But that's what we want to be doing here uh, between, you know, July and February. So, as we said, obviously, Rick, a lot to get into. Uh, Let's lead off with with Jonathan Taylor. The facts are he's still with the Colts, right? Whatever trade offers the Colts entertain prior to yesterday's 4 o'clock deadline, they were not sufficient for the team to trade him. Uh, They allowed Taylor to seek a trade partner last week, gave him a deadline of Tuesday. That was yesterday, NFL cut day, to finalize a trade. So he's placed on the reserve PUP list while continuing his rehab from off-season surgery on that right ankle. That requires a player to miss at least four games with pay. The earliest Taylor can return October 8th against the Tennessee Titans, so he will miss the first four games of the season. Those are the hard facts regarding Jonathan Taylor and the Colts going into the regular season. All right, let's start with the initial 53-man roster. That is out. Let's go over that, Rick. I mean, I know it's probably yeah. going to change with waiver claims. The Colts sit fourth in priority there after those preseason rosters all around the NFL were set. What stood out to you on the offensive side of the ball? Any surprises there with with four receivers, five tight ends? And, again, we talked about the waiver claims. I would expect at least one <laughs> waiver claim at wide receiver, Rick. It's hard to play. It's it's hard to field a play in a game roster construction-wise with only four wide receivers. Oh, absolutely, Matt. And you know what? There's, to me, on this 53-man roster, it, it's mediocre. And, and I really think there's a lot of temps on this thing, you know, temporaries. Um, you know, I used to tell guys that were fringe guys that made it, you know, on the last cut, I used to tell them congratulations for a day. But now you're in competition for the next 19 weeks right. uh, with the waiver wire, you mm-hmm. know, and that is just the reality. And with a team that has a lot of holes still, you know, and a lot of doubts, I mean, there's going to be some claims. Uh, in terms of surprises on offense, um, I think you just mentioned it. <clears throat> 
I think the four receivers is a bit of a surprise, although there was no one, and you and I have had this discussion back and forth, there was no fifth receiver that asserted himself. There wasn't anybody that you could stamp. You were going to have to settle for something, either a veteran who would get you through or a rookie with some upside. But, you know, there was no one who asserted themselves and took that position. So, you know, you're definitely going to pick up somebody on the wire here as number five. And you know, and you're picking fourth, so you're going to have to, you're going to be able to do that, you know. And if you don't pick up a waiver wire, you're just going to resign somebody because you can't go into a game with four. You have to go in with five. You know, some people like Jacksonville is going to carry seven, but nobody carries four. So you know, there's gonna, you know, there's definitely going to be a move there. You know, the five tight ends is a bit heavy, but you know, under the circumstances, you have five fairly talented guys. The injury, you know, the injury bug has really clouded it. So you can't, Mm -hmm. you really can't determine it. I mean, the only reliable H-back really uh, has been Granson. He's the only guy that you know you can count on. Now, you did get a couple guys back for that last preseason game. But, you know, at this point, it's a a very difficult to line them up, uh, you know, particularly with Woods, who you really counted on. I think Mo Alley, because of all that, is definitely ensured a spark, a spot as the stationary tight end. And then the kid that complicated it on a good note is Mallory. I, I, I see Mallory at, with tremendous upside. I, I see him as a really big-time receiver down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got four or five speed. This is a very talented guy. And, you know, when he got healthy here in that last couple of weeks, I mean, he really looks good. So, you know, I, I certainly see the the, the ability to keep, uh, you know, to keep five guys there. All right, then on defense, any roster mechanics or, or players yeah. there making the roster that you were a bit surprised by? And, and maybe on the other end, you know, guys that didn't make the roster. How about Darius Rush? I know he dealt yeah. with, with three injuries since the Colts drafted him, but to me that was still a, a surprise considering he was a draft pick, and when he was out there he had good ball skills and, and was making some plays. Yeah, I would really like to be in that room on that one. And I hadn't, you know, my good friend Ron Miles, who I really respect, I really haven't had a chance to talk to him. I talked to him for a minute in Philadelphia, but I haven't had time to really sit down with him, uh, you know, like we did every day in training camp. Um, I would say I did have more surprises on defense. Uh, and, of course, Rush is number one. I mean, Rush is, yeah. a, you know, a fifth-round draft choice who had really – good moments early i mean you know they had pick six i mean we saw some good things in practice you know he has that four three six speed uh so you know to me there must be something that we don't know one uh maybe it's the injury bug they don't think that he can overcome them or there's something in his personality that don't i did think he tanked it a little bit after he got torched in chicago uh and but i don't want to i don't want to label him that way but you know, it is pretty shocking that you you get rid of a four three six guy, and you keep two four five three guys. I mean, that's just kind of against everything I believe in. But I'm sure there are reasons. But I, like I said, particularly in a real need spot, yeah, uh, that is that is a pretty good surprise. Uh, and he did show warts. There's no doubt. He showed warts late in camp. And then I was a little surprised. Now, I know that the uh, the Colts just adore defensive linemen. 
they they adore him. But yeah, I, six really, defensive tackles initially making the roster. Yeah, and yeah. two of them to me. I know he's a tremendous combine warrior, but Adebore showed me absolutely nothing on the field, and Brian didn't either. Now we gave Brian a pretty good contract, but those two guys, I really, I saw really nothing in the whole camp or in the games. I did see a little bit of light with a game. I think he's got a little rush ability, and I think Johnson showed some run ability. Uh, I still think we're really shaky there from a backup standpoint. But, you know, other than that, you know, Tony Brown had to make it because, you know, he is he is the key nickel backup if anything ever happens to Kenny. Mm-hmm. No question about that. So all eyes were on Anthony Richardson and his development during training camp, obviously. Um, you said, I think at the end of that Philadelphia game, we were kind of just talking and passing off air, you know, once we signed off in the preseason, you said that you are really impressed with Anthony Richardson's loose play ability in the offense, and he's really improved in that regard. For this audience, what did you mean by his loose play ability and his ability to succeed within that to start his rookie season? Well, you know, when you really look at it like we did every day, it, it was almost, and I think our our outside receivers are better than they've shown, but they were really pedestrian, you know. And with and without Jonathan, I mean, we're mediocre at running back. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna filter it. I'm not gonna paint some beautiful picture here. And when you really look at training camp, day after day, game after game, joint practice after joint practice, all the real plays, all the wow plays, are Richardson and. You know, they're either the deeper ball throw, like the Pierce, which was dropped, the throw the other night to Granson on the corner route, the the big seam to Granson. All the big, deep throws, you know, were impressive. But more impressive, you know, are the legs and the loose plays. The designer runs alone, which we didn't see a ton of, but where I saw them was in the red zone against Chicago in the joint practices. I mean, he looked like Hurts on that stuff, tremendous on that stuff, but then look at the scramble plays. Look at the, and that's what I mean by loose play. Look at the, you know, the the, the extension plays. I mean, in Saturday night's game, I mean, Hull missed just missed a blitz. There were two free blitzes that with a guy last year we'd have been dead. It'd been ten yard sacks. In both cases, he spun right out of free blitzes. In one case, he runs so much. Then the next time. He makes an impossible throw. It's ruled incomplete, but most guys couldn't even get it off. And then take me back to the first series that we didn't look very good, but on a third and 15, he gained 16 yards, got you know got called back because of a penalty. But, I mean, who does that? You know, plus when you look at some of the earlier stuff, you know, the just a simple five-yard gain against Buffalo where they have him, where Rousseau has him five yards in the backfield, you know, he runs right through it. He goes down and he jam piles the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he ran. He made so many people miss and, he, and, and, and extended so many plays, kept plays alive. You know, to me, to me, this is just me right now, but to me, him and an improved offensive line really are carrying a very mediocre rest of the ball club. How correctable were those mistakes in camp? I mean, eventually, Rick, I mean, to some degree – Right, athleticism kind of wears off. Defenses are going to game plan against that. They're not going to rush him, and he'll be forced to rely on that accuracy. Where are you with Richardson's delivery and his timing to this point? 
Yeah, I think the delivery is outstanding. Okay, I, I, I was a little bit surprised at that. I thought two things that really surprised me when he came in on a positive note was he has pocket presence and awareness. He's calm in the pocket. He's not, for a great athlete, he's not a guy that's just looking to run immediately. Okay, that I was a little surprised at that. And then his delivery in terms of mechanics is outstanding. I mean, he's got as compact and as quick a release as anybody I've ever seen. Now, the other part of the question is what's important, and this is only going to come in time, and that is timing, accuracy, and touch. And all those things Mm -hmm. are going to be important, as you say. They will. People will be smart. They'll cut off the improvisation play and make you throw the football to win. Now, I think it's correctable because the mechanics are good. Now, part of being accurate in the NFL, the difference, and you've heard me say this, the difference in the Saturday game is in the Saturday game you throw to open receivers. In the NFL, the Sunday game, you throw receivers open. Now, what that means is it's processing. It's anticipating where the receiver will be and where the defender will end up being. And that's only going to come in time. And we won't know. I think we got more of the joint practices in that than the games. We won't know until the tenth, till the you know the coverages get more complex, the blitzes get more complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that the accuracy that he has, or the inaccuracy at times, comes when he gets a clouded vision. He doesn't have it processed totally, and he tries to reload and make the athletic play. Sometimes he's off balance, like the interception against Buffalo. And there are times when he just has to know, if I don't have it, fold them. You know, throw it in the dirt, you know, take it to the sack, whatever. Don't make – stay away from the bad play. The touch is, I think, something you can work on. You know, he does have a little Araldis Chapman in him. You know, he's got the fastball. Now, give me the guy with the fastball, and I'll work on touch. Because you can't – you can't – you can't make – you can't give Minshew the fastball. And when Minshew – has to throw that deep 16-yard dig. You know, that's where he starts to show limitations. You know, with Anthony, it's really when you're throwing the drag cross pattern, the first, what I call first-level passes, option routes, drag routes, swings, screens. You've got to take a little off that ball to those receivers so that they're in a catch-and-run situation, if you follow what I'm saying. Now, that's that, that again, that's just going to come with experience. I think the accuracy will be there because he doesn't have a mechanics issue. Were you also happy with what you saw from the offensive line camp staying on offense? I mean, what what gives you, through three joint practices and three preseason games, what gives you confidence that group is headed for a good year this year? Yeah, now health is going to be critical. I mean, health is going to be critical because – you know, again, my unfiltered opinion is there's very, very little in the backup role. I think we, you know, I could see that being a waiver wire uh, type of deal. I think Freeland has talent. I think he's a long way away. I, I think the two guys, you know, and Pinter actually, after a bad start, un, you know, actually was coming around. He looked like the old Pinter, so that's unfortunate. And then the guys I think that had the, you know, the best of the rest was Hambright. You know, had some moments. Um, and the guy that stood out really um, in the last two weeks has kind of come out of nowhere and was presentable, I would say, definitely presentable, was O'Donnell. So, you know, I mean, I think he's probably the number one backup mm-hmm. to go in 
you know, particularly in that interior, we cannot lose Kelly. I mean, that, that, you know, and Kelly has missed a lot of ball. All right, my reason for what I think, my reason for optimism is I think you can now put Ryman in the big four. I think he's a totally different guy. I expected this. I really liked him coming out, but I knew he was undersized. I knew he had no football background, and if he was thrown in there, was going to struggle. But in the end, throwing him in there is going to make 23 better because he did acquire on-the-job training and develop, and he's so much bigger. You know, when you look at him, he just doesn't look like the same guy. And I think that's going to allow him to play guys that bull him. I think experience are, is going to help him a little bit with guys with that second move. Nelson looks angry again. Uh, you know, Kelly was playing well, as is Braden. So, you know, Fry's, we just don't know. He got hurt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the right guard is problematic. But I see, I see the big four being pretty good. I think schematically we look better. I see wrinkles that are so much better. Um, you know, I think that you know, technique-wise, we look better. We're playing with a better pad level. I think we're angry again. I think we have a chip. Mm-hmm. And I think Richardson certainly helps him because <clears throat> with his option football and the zone read stuff and his ability to get on the edge, I, I think that makes it so much better for the O-line and the running backs because when you are running the ball inside, you're normally run it versus light boxes. But you know, I, I, I just like what I see there going in. We'll find out here on the 10th because Jacksonville has got a very good front. They play that bear all day. They got those two edge rushers. You know, they blitz it, and they, you know, they killed us with line stunts a year ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a really good test, Matt, right off the bat. We'll get into that next week. All right, wrapping up on offense, I know you talked about the, the running back group uh, to compliment Anthony Richardson. How do you assess the rest of the skill group? I mean, based on what you saw in the preseason, how dangerous is the Colts' offense around the quarterback? How much did they, for lack of a better term, leave you wanting more as they broke camp at Grand Park? Well, I'll start out with the running back situation. And, you know, I think, and and this is where I think the extra week helps uh, because I think we're going to get some definition on Moss this week. I think it's really important that we are going to be running back committee, which is not unusual today. That That's why the running back position is devalued, actually. Um, but I think if Moss comes back, it gives us more of a physical guy. I've always liked Deion Jackson. I think Deion has played well in this offense uh, because he can slash versus light boxes. Uh, you know, I don't think he's the guy I want to play every play 60 minutes. And Hull has shown a little bit of loose play stuff, you know, be it screen. The only problem I see with Hull is it showed up. I mean, he he was a liability on blitz pickup the other night against uh, Philadelphia in the game. I mean, he forced Richardson to actually make two good plays, but he brings something. And, if again, if Moss is there, you've got a big banger, you've got a slasher, and then you've got a loose play guy. So, you know, I think I, I don't think there's any sensational player there but I think in this offense, you can probably get by, to be honest with you. what My biggest disappointment, I'll be honest with you, is our outside receivers in camp. And I don't know if it's a, I don't know that it's a, a terminal illness, but I haven't seen much out of Pittman and certainly Pierce. And when you look at this offense, you know, we talk about devaluation of, you know, the running back position. What this offense does 
is you need to elevate your outside guys, not your slots. Your slots are your slots, and I do like Downs, what he's going to do for us in certain situations. But your outside receivers have to be able to go, and they've got to be able to make the big plays on the outside of the field. And I haven't seen it, okay? I just haven't seen it. Because when, you know, you were there sitting right next to me, when you look at Philadelphia in practice, not in the game, but in Tuesday's practice, you see exactly what this offense is, can be, and what you want it to be. And what the bottom line was in that practice was we did a good job. You know, we we did the single high. We had the eight-man front. We bottled the running game, and we bottled Hurts on the run. Okay, we load. I, I call that loading to stop Hurts. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, <clears throat> they would have gotten at least 28 points on the outside to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And you don't – you don't look at it that way in practice because you're looking at play-by-play, play, but they would have had 28 points right there just to their wideouts because, you know, when you load the box, they're willing to just get those two receivers who are premier now. Now, that's probably the best combination in football, but basically they just they just say, if you're going to go eight-man front, we're not throwing quick screens because you can stop that with press. We're going after you on the outside, outside the numbers. And that's, to me, and I, I really hope I'm totally wrong on that, but that's what we lack right here, right now. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. That's Inside Football with Rick. That's the breakdown of the Colts on offense. Defensively going into the regular season, Rick, I think it all kind of starts up front with the pass rush. You know, Quiddy Pay, Dio Adengbo, those two guys going into year number three. Samson Ebicom, uh, a free agent acquisition uh, to play off the edge as well. Are you seeing what you want to see out of the Colts' pass rush going into the season there? Uh, not yet. I'm, I'm really not yet, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Now, I feel real comfortable with that starting front in terms of run defense. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, that front four is a solid run front. I think Quiddy is a good run player, to be honest with you, at the power end. I think Abu Khan has some ability to play the run. And, of course, our two guys inside are really outstanding top-tier guys in Buckner and Stewart. Um, not much behind that inside tackle position. That is really a mystery to me. I liked Aguim on the pass rush and Johnson on the run defense, but neither guy to me is a starter in the NFL, but two really good guys. Now, the one proven rusher on this team is Buckner at the three. I mean, he's, you know, Buckner is an eight to 10 sack guy a year, which is pretty high for an inside uh, interior player. So, I know that historically I can count on Buckner in that situation. You know, I'm not – I have not seen it with Quiddy. I see flashes. Sometimes I think he thinks too much. He's a power player. I think he has more talent than he knows. I think he's got to just go on instinct sometime and give a second move and don't overthink it. Uh, Ebukan, I haven't seen it. I just really and truly haven't seen it. The two guys that I think – really are important, and two guys have to play a lot, and they have to play in passing situations. With the exception of Buckner, to me, the two best rushers on this team. Now, they, you know, is is obviously Tyquan Lewis. I think Tyquan has more production than any of them per play if it were not for injury, and he looks ready to go, at least in spots second and third down, and I think he's really our best edge rusher, if you want to know the truth, and I, that'll probably shock people, but I believe he's our best edge rusher. And then the other guy that has done a good job 
and his flash. Now, most of it has been against the Vitalis squads, but the guy that looks good to me on the inside is is Odengbo. So, you know, if, if I were, if you ask the question, which I know you will, what is your rust front? To me, it's Quiddy on one side mm-hmm. and turn him loose and tell him to quit thinking. And Lewis on the other side, Taekwon on the other side, probably our right side. And then inside Buckner and Dial. That's how, that's how I, every second and long, every third down, those guys are in the game in my book. If you want to, if you want to know the truth. And that's, that's just how I see it. And again, our first unit, when you really think about it, when, when do you remember pressure so far? All our pressure has come with our second team, mm-hmm. you know, against second team players. But I do think that Lewis and Odengbo, I, I think they can make an impact. All right, let's go in the secondary. That that cornerback room, that's, I mean, obviously a lot of eyeballs are going to be on that just considering the newness there and, you know, guys taking on bigger roles with Dallas Flowers and Daryl Baker Jr. complimenting Kenny Moore in the slot. Um, and as you chronicled, they saw some elite receivers in Philly last week in practice. They didn't look overmatched, per se, in terms of getting out- outclassed and guys going up and, and just blowing past them in terms of speed. Right. They were, right. In, they were in good spots to make plays, but you got to tip your cap to those elite receivers like you just talked about in yeah. Smith and A.J. Brown. They just went up and made plays. But for the most of, you know, most of camp, it was Flowers and Baker looking pretty consistent. With that in mind, though, I mean, you're talking about two guys that, you know, Flowers played a little bit towards the end of last year. Daryl Baker Jr. is going to get his first start of any kind coming up in week number one. At least we think that's going to be the case. Do the Colts need to do anything schematically to help those young corners early on in the season to make sure those guys have success? Yeah, I think you defined it extremely well. I, I think those two guys probably have competed and have played as well. You know, when everybody went into the season, myself included, with the cornerback as a question mark, and I still have it because until we, you know, until we play on the tenth for real for sixty minutes, we're not going to know. These kids are both undrafted free agents with almost no experience. Uh, both of them have talent, though. Both of them are fast. Both of them are identical in 40s, in 4-4-3s, and they can run. Uh, they will both really compete. I think Flowers scares me a little, and he, you know, he got ragged a lot in those joint practices. You know, he's a little grabby. I don't think I don't think it's terminal again, but he bothers me a little bit. But he and Baker, you know, have you know, they haven't shown necessarily the liability that we were worried about. And they're far ahead of those rookies. Those rookies, because of injuries and different things, they're they're just a long way away. And I, you know, the more I love Jones, but I think he's really more of a special teams guy. I really I don't know about Brents, but right now, when you when you get in your nickel defense, it's it's going to be Baker, you know, and it's going to be Flowers on the outside. Now, your question I think is vital because. Really, so far in Gus Bradley's tenure, he does nothing to help the corners. Zero. And that is a concern of mine because when you get against the elite guys and you let them outside all day long on an A.J. Brown or a, or a Devontae Smith, and we'll see that. We'll see that all year long. It's not, they're not going to be the only team. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville has good receivers. I mean, they're going to be vulnerable. They're going to give up some plays if you don't help them. So you got to help them in two ways, Matt. There's two ways to help them. One is pressure okay well there's three ways number one is i would play a lot of press with those guys because what the press does 
is it takes away the quick release throws. In other words, you just can't take three steps or five steps and boom, that ball is out before anybody can get there. When you press, you make the quarterback now set and go through his you know go through his progression, and that buys your rush one step. Uh, number two, I think you have to pressure. I, I you know if you can't if you don't you know organically or talent wise have the pass rushers to make a difference, then you got to bring people. You got to bring five and six. You got to affect the quarterback so he's not in rhythm. And that helps your quarter your cornerbacks indirectly. And we've got a couple blackmen in in EJ Speed. My goodness, they're really potential blitzers that can impact it. I mean, I watch those guys are fast and mm-hmm. explosively and big. And so I mean I think he has to expand that. And then the third thing he has to expand is you gotta play more split safety coverage. If you if your corners are young and inexperienced, you just I mean it's suicide to leave them out there in a single high all day. And so, you know, it's it's incumbent on Bradley to do some things defensively to help those guys. It's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football, a breakdown offensively and defensively for the Colts going into the regular season. Um, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses on both sides of the ball to kind of wrap up here. Rank these positions by strength down to weakness and why within the offensive side. All right, so I'll give you, I'll give you quarterback, running back, Rick, wide receiver, offensive line and tight end rank those positions in order from strength to weakness on offense going into the regular season well i'd say number one is quarterback even though he's a rookie and even though he's going to have bumps in the road he is the only guy to me um on that offensive unit that is an ambient player he he is the only guy that has the talent um for me as a defensive coordinator on Tuesday night, that I, that I have to scheme. Um, you know, is he going to have some struggles? Yeah, because he's young. We, we've already chronicled, you know, what he has to get better on. But but in some ways, this is Richardson in the pips. And you have to you have to rate him number one. I would say number two, if our offensive line stays healthy, um, we have four guys and we'll have a plug-in at guard, but we have four guys who ta- are talented and have coached well, you know, our top tiers. I think you have, and I'm not saying he'll be that way, but talent-wise you have a top-tier quarterback, and I think you have a top-tier four to five offensive linemen. You know, after that I would say third. I think your tight end group is solid. I think you have a lot of different kinds of guys. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know if you have, I, I don't. I know you don't have a complete, you know, superstar there. You don't have a Kelsey. You don't have yeah. one guy that can do it all. Uh, you kind of have a committee. I think Ogletree would come the closest, but you know he's just coming off that severe injury. He's you know showed some life late. Yeah. I think you, I think you have a bunch of good guys and a really good young kid in Mallory. But I, I would say right now, if you if you rated them on 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 a one to ten, with ten being high. I think you have a lot of sixes in that room, and then right now I really worry about the the receiver position. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I was I was more optimistic a year ago. Tell you the truth, it's almost amazing that our personnel group can be in place for as long as they have, and really only have four receivers and one who you claimed off the waiver wire. So, 
you know, that, that group has really got to step up here in the next two weeks. Running back right now, we don't have to belabor Jonathan. He would have been another Ambien. He would have been the second Ambien sure. that you worry about. But in the end, you know, if Moss is healthy, that's why I'm really interested here in this in this off week, this bridge week, if they can get him back healthy for the opener, I do think in this style of play, in the new style, the NCAA type of play, you know, I think you'll be able to patch it. You've seen a little bit of slashing by these guys with running back by committee. You don't, you obviously don't have a superstar there, but I don't know that the day of the superstar isn't gone. All right, then strengths and weaknesses on defense, top to bottom. This one's a little bit you know, simpler. Yeah. Let's just go three different layers of the defense. Defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. Rank those three position groups from strength to weakness, if you want. I don't think there is a weakness within that defense, but the top strengths, if you will, rank those on the defensive side of the ball. Well, if if Shaq can play, yeah. if, if Shaq can play, and of course that's a big if, and and I would see even if he doesn't, I would still rank our starting linebacker crew because in 70% of the game, you're only playing two. You're not playing three. Yeah. I, I rank that as number one. I, I think uh, Speed, uh, Franklin, and Shaq, you know, are really I, – I think they're really ballers. I, I think they can really, really make a difference. I really do. Um, I think – our, our our safeties. I think the combination of Blackman being bad. I, I just I think Blackman can do it all. I really do. And Thomas and now Cross is coming. I wouldn't be surprised if Cross doesn't push Thomas now that he's comfortable. I mean I've seen a totally different guy in Cross. So I think linebacker, safety, and nickel with Kenny. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put that together uh, for you, Matt, because that's kind of an inside core. And then if you add. Um, if you add Buckner and uh, Stewart, I, I would say that kind of the interior core of our defense is is really good. My, the questions that remain with me on September 10th is, do we have enough edge rush or will Bradley bring it? Yeah. And can our corners hold up week after week against top-tier players in that system? So if if you follow, I think I went around about there, but you know, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. Now, you know, we hear all the time, Rick, about you know, we're just not going to know. We're really not going to have the full picture. <laughs> we're not going to have like a clear understanding. We say it every year, and I think last year we all kind of fell into that trap with yeah. you know all the <laughs> yes, the, the free agent signings and and a good draft and all of that. Every, obviously, everybody was pretty high on the team. And then, you know, no one really saw 4-12-1 and one, uh, coming after a really good training camp and offseason and things like that. So everybody says all the time, we're really not going to know until September 10th. We're not going to know until week one against the Jaguars. What are you most looking forward to finding out about this Colts team in week one? Well, first of all, I'm really happy that you referred to last year because I, I drank the Kool-Aid also. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned a lesson that I should have known Um and in this podcast, I think I have my a little bit more of my best Belichick Saban, a little bit more of a really unfiltered critical analysis, not to get personal, but just to really give to you and to the fans what a, what a critical coach's view is at that, at this moment. Also, I like to make the point, John Madden always said, and I always loved it, he always said that there are four levels of NFL play, particularly from an intensity standpoint. Level one is the preseason. Level two 
is the regular season. Level three is December football. And of course, level four is the playoffs. So we're going to step up a level. I mean, there's, we're going to step up a level of intensity. Yeah. We're going to step up a level of sophistication, uh, particularly for Anthony going in there. And we're playing a really top-tier football team. I mean, I've already done a lot of Jacksonville. I thought in that last preseason game they played everybody. I thought they destroyed the Dolphins. Um, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, they were 9-8, and eight, so I'm not coronating them. Uh, but they're a, they're a team that you know the system works. Uh, you have five six bad years. You're going to get a lot of lottery picks, and you know if you do it right and you get the right quarterback, which it looks like they have, then you're going to be a pretty doggone good team. So again, that's what I say. You you won't know until you get in there live. I think the emotional advantage is actually with us. We'll get into this next week, but I I actually think that the op, you know the opener. I think there's much more pressure on the Jaguars. All of a sudden, they go from being the hunter to the hunted. That's not easy, necessarily. Right. And really, we're a low-expectation team unless we put a target on our own back. So I can't, you know, I can't wait to the 10th, and it's going to be a little bit like a box of chocolates. We won't know <laughs> what we have till we get out there on the Lucas Oil field that day. I ate some. Sorry. Life's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> I, those look like comfortable shoes. That's Rick Venturi. That's another loaded podcast this week. And we are, as we said, we're a week away from breaking down the Colts' blueprints for success against the Jacksonville Jaguars in week number one. I guess, Rick, I'm just going to hit the fast-forward button completely. It's finally here, all right? I'm just saying it's here. After nine months, we're finally here. We're going to get some answers to the Colts' moves in the offseason. That's the best part of all of this now that – you know, I'm, I'm saying we're in the month of September. Even though we're not, I'm saying we're here. We finally made it. And so really looking forward to it as it all kind of starts in the next couple of days. Rick, always love our time together per usual. Enjoy the weekend coming up and be safe on that motorcycle. And we'll talk to you next week, man. Have a great weekend coming up. All right, up. Matt. We'll be in there. We'll be in that booth on the 10th. I can't wait. You got it. You got it. Rick Venturi right there. I'm Matt Taylor. And that'll do it for this episode of Inside Football, The Bridge Week from the preseason to the regular season. And again, we'll do it again next Wednesday for real, breaking down the Jacksonville Jaguars on Inside Football with Rick Venturi right here on the Colts Audio Network. So long. <laughs>